Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Yes, we are. Winding down the summer days here. And I don't know about you. I have a I have a hummingbird war going on over my shoulder. So if you hear those little Twitters, I don't know what's going on. It's like I've had, you know, one at a time, two at a time. There's like six of them out there fighting over the feeder. So wow. Um, and there's six holes. They can just like cooperate, you know, but this whole like divisive thing we got going on in this country apparently also applies to hummingbird feeders. <laughs> so just putting that out there. So how you guys? Good. I have no, no wars in my backyard other than other than the dogs uh, barking at the neighbors. So, yeah, well, that's something, you know, that's some traffic. Yeah. Um, speaking of traffic, <laughs> there's a well, yeah, one of our, our guests today is getting ready to embark on some traffic. But that's not that's not our topic today. We're going into a different direction. Um, so that was Bill Sutton's voice that you heard there at the top of the podcast. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us this week is Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan. Hey, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is an old friend of mine, going back to actually a few years when we took podcasting together at Stony Brook Southampton. Um, So say hello, everyone, to Kate Fulham. Hi, Kate. Hi, Annette. Um, Kate Fulham, East End Food Institute Executive Director. Um, excited to reconnect with you and with the group here to talk about some new initiatives we're working on. Yeah. We're, we're fighting for good food also, along with the hummingbirds. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. So the Executive Director of East End Food. It, there's no institute at the end anymore, right? I misspoke. Yeah, we just have undergone a rebranding, less syllables and more direct. We are East End Food and really promoting everyone. Let's all come to the table. We really want to promote the local food system for farmers, for producers and for everyone, not just those who could afford the true um, value of our local food. Yeah. So dropping the Institute, was that just sort of to make it feel more um, more and more all-encompassing in terms of from the field to the lab to the kitchen to everything in between? You know, we ended up calling ourselves that on the fly anyway. I used to work for an organization that you guys are familiar with, probably Group for the East End, and and the same thing. People said the group. The the group, group, yeah. And so um, we just really leaned into it and said, we're East End food um, and you know that that's it's it's more approachable it's less syllables our url is shorter all the practical things <laughs> and um and it's simple we'll keep it simple right thinking like an executive director kate you're thinking like it's someone in charge that's good well that's what i think now i maybe we should start you we could talk about your involvement with the stand food and how the how you got involved in the organization when you got involved in the organization and how it's maybe changed its focus um, in the last few years, because it used to be sort of based at the Stony Brook Southampton campus. Right? That's right. Actually, the organization was founded by John DeQuavis out in Amagansett in 2010. And um, 
the other founding board of directors included Katie and Amanda from Amber Waves Farm and Carissa from Carissa's Breads. Um, they really felt that there was an organization needed to support, promote, and advocate for local food and local producers. And um, they actually started out at the Amagansett Farmer's Market that Katie and Amanda then took over for Amber Waves. And um, five years later, came in to create an incubator kitchen at the Stony Brook Southampton campus. Um, in 2018, I joined as executive director and really reinvigorated that incubator program for small scale businesses. And then we also started making products out of local produce to help the farm. So when they open up in the spring, they have pickles or sauces, um, jams and jellies and um, all sorts of goodies rather than just all the, the spring produce to offer. So it helps them with their year round and then um, you know also helps to get people in need and kids in school and really sustain local food production. And on the campus, um, you also had a kitchen there. That was seemed like such a cool and very important thing because when, I guess when someone embarks on a food business, especially if they're processing the food into something else, it's important that they have the right kind of commercial kitchen to make it all pass muster in terms of um, health health requirements and, and that sort of thing. And that was sort of the function at the college, right? That they were um, using the kitchen there to make their products? Yeah, I mean, it's enough to run a small business. Um, running a commercial kitchen is a costly enterprise in terms of maintenance, um, cleaning, pest management. Um, and so we have the kitchen is all ready for them. Um, and it's certified by the Department of Agriculture and Markets by New York State. So those folks can come in with their certification and um, they're ready to go to make a, a product that's legal to sell in New York State. And it's safe um, to, you know, work in a clean space. That kitchen's still open at, at the campus. You didn't move that to Riverhead, correct? That's right. And um, one of the reasons that we're talking now is because we last Sunday launched a capital campaign for raising another $2 million towards reaching our goal of building out this first phase of the East End Food Hub. Um, at the Stony Brook Southampton campus, we've tested proof of concept, we've scaled up, but we're kind of outgrowing the space and um, the infrastructure is aging. It was built for something else than what we're using it for. So um, we have the farmer's market in Riverhead, which many people might be familiar with at the old Homeside Garden Center um, in November 2020. One, we launched the Indoor Farmer's Market. It's at 139 Main Road in Riverhead. Um, and that space, um, we're actually under construction, renovating it right now. We are putting in a commercial kitchen that suits our food processing, as well as is going to be shared with small-scale entrepreneurs. We're looking forward to offering some food hands-on cooking classes and food education, um, even with some partners uh, like Cornell, who does multilingual nutrition education, and really be able to start building out the infrastructure needed to streamline those connections within the food system, sustain agriculture here, reduce food miles and reduce waste, and really equitably share the local bounty. So we, we would be moving out of the Stony Brook Southampton campus, uh, likely the spring of 2024. So how big is the renovation that you're doing um, at the site in Riverhead? 
Is it, is, are you adding a lot of footprint to it? Um, not much footprint. The existing building that we rented um, was it, uh, 5,000 square feet exactly, <laughs> a 50 by 100 building. If you'd been there for the indoor farmer's market, you could see um, it wasn't very well insulated, um, just sort of a, a bare bones um, Morton type steel building. Um, and so what we've done is um, we've added half of that space is going to be the kitchen um, and the other half open uh, for events and as well as the farmer's market. We added two small additions. One is a new entryway that will be open even on the days when the market is not. So people can stop in and buy the local goods, buy a gift, grab something quick for a bite to eat. Um, and then the addition on the rear of the building is a mechanical room because we're actually um, improving the HVAC um, compressors for all the cold storage, the refrigeration and freezers that we need in order to um, sustain the facility. So are you, um, do you envision being able to um, um, accommodate more producers at the kitchen or is it basically to try to sustain the number that you're able to sustain at the college now? Well, one of the things I was mentioning earlier that the current kitchen we're operating in was built for something else. There's there's one hotline, right? And that has all the equipment on it. So um, what's kind of uh, quaint, but um, <laughs> sometimes uh, not as efficient is that we're operating really elbow to elbow with a lot of the small scale producers if our team is there at the same time as them. Um, we have a scheduling software that addresses, um, you know, the different production times that people will be in the kitchen, but our new space will actually have a separate hotline for those small scale producers um, away from the higher volume production that we're doing, uh, making hundreds of pounds of tomatoes into sauce or, you know, jarring pickles or other vegetables and things like that. So the kitchen will be about the same size, but its um, layout is a lot more efficient for how we're using it. Are you finding that there's more producers wanting to come into the kitchen and join you know, and use it. I just wonder how the volume or the interest in, in using the kitchen has changed in the, in the years that you've been with East End Food. Yeah, we have a wait list of about 30 people right now. Wow. Um, and we work really closely with Stony Brook's Calverton Incubator because um, our team works in the kitchen Monday through Friday. It's really a nice space for somebody who's coming from a home kitchen and doesn't know how to use the larger pieces of equipment because they can ask a question of a team that's really familiar. Um, so we're kind of the top of the funnel and encouraging people to get, you know, from the home environment, um, scale their product up, learn about um, food safety formulation, what the labeling requirements are. And it's really a sweet spot for me personally. I just find it so rewarding working with these small businesses. And all of a sudden, you know, over the last, you know, almost six years now that I've been there, um, you're seeing people really growing a viable business model and they're contributing to the local food system by buying local produce and products that are part of their ingredients. What are some of the brand names that people would would recognize? 
Um, Aki's Kitchen has grown a lot with us. Um, the Hoppy Acre is a farm out in um, Springs that grows hot peppers and we actually make their hot sauce for them. Um, who else? Um, there's a few new companies um, coming through with us. Um, Moji Masala was one that um, launched and went, they moved into the city. Um, there's an Indian spice company that mm. um, they came forward and they started out with these craft paper bags that they would like hand seal them. And then they grew the company enough where they now have this beautiful, uh, bright colored packaging that really reflects the Indian culture. Mm. Um, so just seeing people grow like that is is really wonderful. And you don't think of India, Indian um, food companies starting on the east end of Long Island, you know, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> usually come here after they've done the city thing and gotten, you know. That's kind of an interesting yeah, backward. It's migration. really nice like that. Um, they're not working in our kitchen anymore, but we do stay in touch. Um, Shireen Quadri uh, is the owner and Moji is actually named for mother in um, her native language. And she was saying her story was that she actually would cook with her mother. And she's like, what's the recipe? And of course, no recipe. <laughs> it was really getting um, shoulder to shoulder with her mom, figuring out how these recipes were formulated. And then her love of that, wanting to share that with other people and, you know, um, coming up with the formulations that could be a little spice packet that anyone could turn their, their local produce. Um, I know I use it a lot with my CSA share when I didn't know what to make and, you know, adding this beautiful array of aromatic spices is just take it to the next level. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Raro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. And Kate, this is by design, right? That businesses, small producers, they come in and they scale up and they outgrow you and they leave, right? You want these companies to outgrow you. So then they make room for the next up and coming company. Yeah, it depends. And that's part of the way that we designed the new facility. Um, we at first are going to start with our traditional farmer's market layout in the new open space. But underneath the concrete floor, we've actually piped in plumbing and electric to where we could um, create more permanent stalls in that space. And that would be someone's place to sell and do light prep and then access the bigger kitchen and really almost have like a little WeWork um, area. And so we're seeing that more and more that people are looking for 
maybe not a full brick and mortar because it's so expensive out here, but um, a collaborative uh, brick and mortar space that where they can have a retail presence, but also produce their goods. And so we're this first phase, we're really replicating what we're offering now, which is the farmer's market and the kitchen um, incubator, as well as our production but we have designed the space so that there's future um, expansion available. And we have plans in the future to buy the property as well as build out additional processing space for us to scale and really meet the needs of the, the region and beyond as well. In the meantime, do you still have the cafe at the Stony Brook Southampton campus? You know, it really wasn't our wheelhouse to run a cafe. It's a totally different business model, totally different, um, you know, a certification with Suffolk County Health Department versus New York State Ag and Markets. So we had communicated that to Stony Brook. And fortunately, the FSA, which is Faculty Student Association, took on running the um, cafe to serve the students and the campus needs. And it's been working out great. So we've had a nice collaboration and we kind of uh, gave up that space to them so that they could focus on their mission, which is to serve the meal plans, and we could focus on ours, which was to enhance the local food system. And how did how did COVID um, uh, affect you guys in the food hub? Where there are a lot more people coming forward trying to get in because everybody was 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 home and and you know baking bread and you know and, and thinking that they could um, market that. Was there was there an impact there? Yeah, you know, I mean, as with any. Um, major world event. Um, it definitely breeds creativity, whether in the arts or, you know, a new business or a life change. And so uh, we did see um, some more applications and different people sort of pivoting um, into a food product space. Um, so that's been really fun. And the, the variety of different applications from you know, bakers to a new spice blend to a beverage um, has been really interesting. Um, we've had a new uh, company come in, a family who uh, makes tamales and they want to, um, you know, freeze them and package them and, and, and sell. Um, another couple that just came in yesterday is doing some recipe development to learn how to make their um, Aleppo pepper chili crisp um, it's sort of like a Mexican take on chili crisp that's up and coming and they're finalizing their product name, you know, so it's, um, it's really interesting to see the creativity that's coming out now. And it's cool. You're getting so many ethnic brands coming forward. That's exactly right. what I wouldn't have necessarily thought. Like it makes you realize there's a lot more probably diversity out here than we know of and that we see every day on the streets. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not everyone can be making a hot sauce or being a baker, you know, so people are coming up with creative ways, even um, in agriculture, you know, the hoppy acre, they grow their hot peppers for their Springs fireplace hot sauce, but they're also growing indigo for fabric dye. I mean, it's, it, and they're growing hops for Springs brewery. Um, so people are really getting creative ways to sustain agriculture and um, you know, what, one of the things that we're looking at is kind of from where we started, which is grain production um, with Katie and Amanda at Amber Waves and seeing, OK, could we add a mill, uh, you know, a smaller mill that would help scale up um, the ability for farmers to process grain and, you know, have flour and 
um, use more of that in, in local products. I always wondered if there was enough acreage out. When I first met Amanda and Katie, I just wondered if there was enough acreage out here to really get a sustained wheat um, industry going. What are you finding with that? Are there, is wheat working out here and is it being able to be grown in large enough quantities to really supply the producers who need it? You know, they're probably the experts on that, but I know it's working for them um, in the small scale retail quantities. Um, you also see they still have a great collaboration with Carissa's and um, we have a company called Lisa Lina Pasta that uses the Amber Waves wheat in their bronze extruded pasta. So, um, you know, I think that there's some farmers that are growing, um, but, you know, it's really storage um, so that things don't get any kind of, um, you know, mold uh, or yeast growth. And then also the, the milling process to do that in a quick enough fashion so that, you know, and then you can store in a properly dehumidified environment. So it's really like taking agriculture to the next level really is dependent upon that infrastructure. And, you know, that's what we're working on to replicate what we have with a more efficient uh, layout and equipment, and then also plans to scale that up, you know, as we continue to evaluate with our farm and food partners, what's needed and, you know, what's viable for the region. So at this point, they're able to process the wheat locally, or does that have to be sent out? Do you know? Amber Waves actually um, does theirs on their own. They have a tabletop mill um, the last time I saw it. And, okay. you know, so it's a lot of the work that's done out here of local food is significantly by hand, which drives up the cost because labor is such a high cost. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, if it's working now and there's a demand for it, but we could level out the um, investment in processing we can make it more widely available. And that's really a critical component for us is, you know, kids in school should be eating apples that were grown here. You know, it's, uh, it's silly the way that our food system works right now. Um, but we not only invest in infrastructure, but we advocate for public policy and funding and subsidies in the right direction to help, you know, for example, um, school food service directors get, uh, you know, a better reimbursement from the state if they're able to invest uh, their budget in New York state products, including what's growing here. I think it, it makes sense too, when you see what happens with the food system nationally, like the bigger growers, like they get wiped out by, you know, drought or rain or, you know, the way that the climate change is sort of changing a lot of the growing areas that it, it's like you become very vulnerable when you're relying on things that are grown so far away. Yeah, I mean, we saw it during the pandemic, right? And, um, you know, Bill, to your point, the pandemic offered us this opportunity where people were paying attention, including politicians, which means that um, federal and state funding is actually being allocated to make more resilient food systems. Um, and so, you know, I feel like this is a critical time in uh, this particular issue and a lot of others that were highlighted by the pandemic where people are still paying attention, but probably just barely until the next crisis happens. And 
that we really need to take this opportunity to uh, invest in the infrastructure to make a shift. And, you know, if anywhere is a pilot region for this, it's it's the east end of Long Island. We have that capacity and we've proven that on so many levels, um, you know, with legislation, research, um, piloting out different um, initiatives. And so I'm looking forward to getting this part of the project, uh, phase one across the finish line. We're, you know, looking to raise another 2 million by the end of the year, um, looking for folks who can help. And for us, it's the little engine that could, right? Like five years ago, our budget was $250,000 a year and I was in the kitchen. We now have 15 staff members and executive chef, and we've just breached a million dollars a year and just trying to get a new home wow. for the organization yeah. so we can continue uh, to serve the community. This is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27East.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. So how did your event go? Um, it was great. It was Sunday. Um, chef Michael Razi and his wife, uh, who's a pastry chef, Holly Dove Razi, uh, teamed up with us to present an amazing meal. Um, Balsam Farms, Amber Waves, North Fork Seafood, um, Hoppy Acre, Stone's Throw Farm were some, some of the folks that were featured on the menu. Uh, we had the Milk Pale Peaches for dessert, um, peach shortcake, and some Channing Daughters wines. So um, you know, just at the core of it was just a lovely evening. And for us, it's less about throwing a Hamptons gala where you raise the $2 million all at once and more about building relationships with people who really understand what the food system needs and see this as a return on investment. Um, so, you know, we're building those relationships. Um, we're really excited to have received some uh, you know, funding for the organization from the event. We had, you know, $1,000 ticket price and 50 tickets uh, sold. So that was a good jump start. and uh, federal and state dollars behind it um, and, you know, continuing to fundraise forward. But we definitely are grateful for those people that attended to learn more because it's really not like a food pantry where you can see that direct service on the front lines. We're solving the problem behind that problem, you know? Um, and so it's a little bit more nuanced and um, takes a little time for people to get it. And does that lead into, into um, the East End Food Passport program? Can you talk a little bit about that? And that's basically... Um, it's, it's a directory for, for people on the East end of, um, different food resources and businesses that you guys deal with. Yeah, we were really excited to work with Market New York because typically they're focused on working with, you know, restaurants, hotels, Discover Long Island, um, and they awarded uh, through New York State Market New York awarded us a grant to produce this East End Food Passport. And not only does it include um, special events that will be held at the site of the new food hub in Riverhead through the end of the year, but a directory 
of places where people can shop and patronize local farms and food businesses, but also our partners that really make the food system work. And, you know, that's an important piece. And it um, Market New York is really focused on tourism-based activities. Um, but as we know here on the East End, tourism is so strongly based on the web of people who are, you know, bolstering that and holding it up. Um, and so all of these partners from food pantries to, um, you know, small businesses, um, social service agencies are really important to that, you know, fabric of, of our community and the success of tourism on the East End. So we were really proud to make the case um, to include many different kinds of partners, um, increase people's awareness, and also present just some really fun and informative events at our new location to get people to come there. Um, and we're almost ready to be starting to do some construction tours, which is really fun. The, the floor is poured and we could start to see interior walls. And I'm really looking forward to, to showing people around um, as they're coming for those special events. And where can people pick up their passport? And once they have it, what do you hope they will do with it? So um, we partnered with Edible East End. They were one of our sponsors. And so anywhere you could find Edible East End, um, you could find the East End Food Passport. Um, you can pick it up. And in the front of the book, there's all the directory of events. Um, those are Thursday and Friday evenings at our location, 139 Main Road in Riverhead. Um, we have a tent set up while the um, building is being renovated. Um, so we've had things like um, a lecture and, you know, hands-on demo with James Port sourdough on how to make sourdough bread, um, flower arranging classes for people that are growing flowers in the area, um, art crossovers of paint and sip with a local winery, and then even kids events, you know, for children to learn about local agriculture and enjoy something with their families. So the, the categories are taste, create, learn, and play. And then um, our gather events will be, you know, slightly uh, larger events uh, where, you know, people can come and um, gather like the farmer's market or, uh, you know, a cocktail party, which we'll probably be doing a few more of now that we're able to do some tours of the, of the construction in progress. Um, the other thing I'd love for people to do is take a look in the rear of the book, which is our directory of all of our members. We have over 200 farm and food business members and a lot of partners, like I said, and um, they can peruse through there. And maybe you're going to find some kind of product that going into the fall and the holiday season, you know, make your holiday gift lists <laughs> um, using local products. Um, we have a lot of wonderful things on our website. Um, just go to shop eastendfood.org and we have a virtual farmers market um, people can shop all of those local vendors and um, just really enjoy the hard-working people on the east end try to keep money in our community so what are the um the hours for the farmers market right now and i know that it maybe changes in the winter or once we get into the colder weather yeah last year um we switched the market to a different day in in the summer season but um we decided it would be consistent to say we're here every saturday nine to two year round um we have two short breaks just to reset for the seasons and you know make any updates so the summer market will run through the end of october and then we're going to open up um a couple weeks before thanksgiving on saturday I believe it's November 
18th. And um, that'll, again, be Saturdays from 9 to 2. And, uh, you know, folks can come and, and shop away. We noticed um, there's just so much going on in the summer, as you guys know, <laughs> like the calendars get so filled. Um, we had our consistent presence on Saturdays. It's um, a little bit slower, but really a nice, um, happy feeling at the market. We have a couple new farmers that um, joined us this summer uh, from Farmer Farmers of the Future um, at Charnu's Farm um, up in Southold. There was uh, Alewife, Alewife Farm and Coastal Roots were there. Um, but yeah, we'll continue. And the holiday markets, um, as you've seen, if you've been there, are just so busy. It's really a lively environment because there's not as many local uh, farm stands and markets open. So we're really looking forward to to getting into that holiday and winter season. So, you know, I'm just curious, did you come to this job with a background in food? Um, well, like many people, I have worked in food for a long time, um, you know, waitressing, working in kitchens through my college and my high school career. <laughs> um, but I um, have a background in marine science, and that has served me well in terms of just analyzing systems, understanding biology, and, you know, setting up experiments that, you know, you, you kind of see what's going to work and then keep doing the things that do work. Um, when I first started working in the kitchen at um, East End Food, I definitely was happy that I had a microbiology background so that I could go through the certification for acidified foods, make sure we were doing everything safely and you know, really be precise as you would in a science lab. It's not as much about cooking on the line as a chef. Um, it's really formalized and, you know, making sure that uh, pH testing is done, that things are really processed to a very specific, um, safe uh, process. And so hmm. uh, that science background has served me well in so many different ways. I just, honestly, I loved Sylvia Earle and... Um, she was like my idol. So I studied marine science because it was something that I loved and then translated that into everything that I've done um, and took a master's in nonprofit administration so that I could use those skills to to do good things in the community and live a good life. <laughs> More importantly, how are your growing skills? <laughs> Have you become a good farmer since you've taken this order? You just leave that to the pros at this point. Honestly, I leave it to the pros. Um, we have so many farmer friends and they do such a beautiful job. Um, and even the, you know, food production at this point, I've hired Chef Jay Lippin. He's fabulous. We have a great kitchen team and uh, I jump in and give them a break on washing dishes now and try to pave the road ahead with grant writing and, uh, you know, keeping the organization on track. Wow. you got to love an executive director that'll jump in and do dishes. That's something that you don't hear about every day. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes physical work is the, uh, the uh, antidote to writer's block <laughs> or anything like that, you know, and we have such a great team. Everybody's willing to jump in um, and help. We're all so different from each other, but really complimentary and, um, uh, I'm just feel really, really blessed to lead such a great group. So you'll be at the Southampton College, look at the Stony Brook Southampton campus for another year or so, do you think? Or 
Yeah, we have our lease through the end of June 2024. Um, and, you know, we've had some great collaboration with Stony Brook and they understand, you know, where we're going with our um, organization. And, um, you know, they've been really great about extending that for us. I think, you know, that's a result of them understanding the economic impact, but then also us being a good partner and, um, you know, maintaining the space and equipment and all of that. So um, it's, it's really fortunate to have partners like that in the community. We're really grateful. I know they've taken a lot of flack lately, but <laughs> yeah. they, uh, they have been a good partner. <laughs> yeah, we've had some issues. You're the shining star over there, I think, right now. So. Yeah. But I think it's also great that you're doing this in Riverhead. I mean, that is the literal center of both the fork. So it kind of makes sense as far as the location. Um, you know, you have so many producers on both forks and to have it right there in the middle of the of the two of them seems like. Uh, and, and also, you know, you're a little bit closer to getting product to distribution further, you know, to the west if you're heading. In. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly why we chose that spot aside from homeside florist being one of my favorite places to visit um that property has been in you know retail nursery and agriculture since the 1950s it had such a long history and um you know i had many people say after we launched the farmer's market well, hey we never thought you would even get a lease on that property so mm -hmm. uh, i was really excited and you know hey wait wait till you see what else we can do <laughs> there but when we launched the market um it was a really special weekend because my parents came into town from Michigan. My dad was opening the doors, welcoming people, directing parking and, you know, my mom helping with checkout and stuff. And in walks uh, Andrea Olson, who uh, was part of the Olson family who owned that homeside florist and uh, mm. said, I'm so pleased to see what, how this property is continuing to be used in service of local agriculture. And, you know, it was a, a moment where you felt like uh, I'm on the right path, you know. And, um, oh, it was so popular. Yeah. And it mm -hmm. was just always packed. Yeah, there's, you know, without being too um, spiritual about it, there definitely is a good vibe on that property. And, um, you know, I, I've, it's not easy what we're trying to do, right? But um, when you believe with and acting with good intent that this is the right thing to do, uh, you know, at, you're getting signs along the way to keep going. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful that with, uh, you know, the event that we did on Sunday and these conversations that I'm having with you guys, that people really start to understand that there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes to make agriculture work from food production to environmental benefits to the scenic vistas that we all enjoy and kids in school eating good food. Uh, this project is so important and it's really going to transform uh, the the region's food system. And now you've got a passport so you can keep going. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's the fun part, right? Like I, I get really nerdy about um, food systems and, you know, like efficiency <laughs> and food hubs. But, you know, all in all, if you want to just have a good time, uh, pick up the passport and come and hang out with us because uh, there's some really, really interesting programs and, and fun things to do in there. So do the producers stamp the passports? You know, it was something that we thought about putting, integrating in. And um, 
as a small organization, like we've never produced this kind of publication before it was the first stab at it. So I think in the future, we're looking to enhance the program, not only with the book, but some kind of maybe digital passport stamp with an app where we can, you know, have a social media tie in, um, you know, maybe partner with local media like yourselves to um, promote that. And, um, you know, this is our our 1.0 version and uh, we're looking forward to 2.0 and beyond to really enhance it. But yeah. it's a great idea. Of course, uh, we would have had to produce a lot of stamps and um, get those people involved to, you know, do the physical stamping. So does the passport have a start and end date or is it just pretty much now until you bring out a new one? Um, we have events in there scheduled through the end of 2023 and then what we we think we'll do it again each year um, and have it come out for Memorial Day with events scheduled through the end of the year and then use that like, you know, January through Memorial Day time to finalize the next year's uh, version since it's obviously a bit quieter out here in the winter too. Fun. Yeah. Any uh, ideas and feedback are <laughs> appreciated. Personally, I feel like, you know, multi-part series bread baking course in the middle of January or February could be uh, oh, yeah. really hitting the spot, you know, <laughs> maybe a beer that on the side. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the classes are sound like a lot of fun, you know, mm -hmm. like really learning at the elbow of someone that really knows their stuff. Yeah. And what I'm really proud of, you know, one of the funds, uh, one of the grants that we secured was through the USDA, um, there's a community food projects grant. And that grant funded some of the equipment for the kitchen, about $150,000 worth. But it also wrote in nutrition education as uh, with Cornell Cooperative Extension Suffolk County as a partner. And their multilingual educators then will be able to use this new kitchen to do demos for people who are you know, exercising SNAP benefits and learn how maybe to access local food and how to prepare healthy meals using fresh produce. Um, the farmer's market, we've also worked with um, Suffolk County Food Policy Council to launch Double Up Food Bucks and help people that are using SNAP benefits to stretch their dollars. If they buy something mm. that's SNAP eligible, they actually get another dollar towards if they're going to buy fresh fruits or vegetables or seeds to grow a garden. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here on the equity side, and that's really something that keeps me motivated for this project beyond the economic benefits. That's very cool. Yeah. You got a lot going on, Kate. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I got I got the wide angle view. Also, this afternoon, I'm, I'm a member of the uh, Southampton Town Planning Board. So that's been uh, really informative in terms of really getting the 50,000 foot view, not just on what our organization is doing, but what's going on in our community. And, you know, um, to that point, you know, we've been reviewing the community housing plan and looking at that whole issue, which is like critical on the East End, um, part of our project with the East End Food Hub is to add some residential um, uh, housing for uh, not only our operation with East End Food, but the apprenticeship and you know job recruitment services that we do for local farms and, and producers. So I'm hopeful, you know, over the years we can add that component as well and, uh, you know, really help food, food touches everything, you know, like it's, it's environment, it's housing, it's 
labor force. It's um, you know community health and well-being. It's equitable uh, access. It's politics. Um, and you know, for me, coming from environmental advocacy and education background, having worked at the hospital and community health, um, and just kind of trying to look at this as from a systems approach, um, I feel like I've landed in the right spot, although it is like playing Tetris with Jello sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you just do as much as you can every day and try to keep yeah. things moving forward. But I really appreciate you guys talking with me about this project. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's really fun. A great opportunity. And we should give your website. Your your um your website is eastendfood.org. Yep, that's correct. correct. Yeah. And um, you know, we have uh, a lot of local producers featured on there. All, all of our members were we have a community spotlight section that tells a little bit more of the story behind each producer. Um, and we'll be adding some additional content there. Um, so really just a great place to go if you want to learn about local food. And uh, we hope to see you at some of the events in Riverhead as well. All right. We'll look for you for sure. Great. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for catching me on the go today. <laughs> and Are you going to make your meeting? I will. Yeah, I'll get there. I'm like a doctor's office. I'm always 15 minutes behind because I want to be present in the moment with each thing I'm doing. <laughs> But um, yeah, this is this is really great. I appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to keeping you all informed of, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be going to a ribbon cutting ceremony together in the next several months. In the meantime, I'm hungry. Yeah, go get some lunch. <laughs> Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.